Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. I think there's some folks here today that have experienced the grace of God in your life. Amen. We've had some technical difficulties, so I'm going to preach with a microphone like this today. So if I get excited, and I'll do the best I can to keep it right here. Uh, for the past six weeks, we have been on a journey together as a faith family through the book of Ephesians, studying a series that we've called Family Matters. This weekend, we are bringing that series to a close. But before we do, I want to share something with you that God has laid on my heart about where we're headed next Sunday. Next Sunday, we are going to be addressing something that I think is very important in the life of our fellowship. We're not finished with the book of Ephesians with this series. We're going to continue. Um, but I, I say this often as a, a church here at Hope, but I believe before we're anything else, we are a family. And there are some times in the life of our church family when, as the shepherd, the pastor, the one who's been called by God to be the under-shepherd, under the leadership of the Lord Jesus, shepherding this flock, there are times when God puts a specific burden on my heart as a pastor about something that's needing to be addressed in the life of our church. And I, I feel like I have one of those burdens that I've been living with for the past couple of weeks and it's really born out of our study through the book of Ephesians. Paul, throughout this letter, has been addressing a dominant theme um, that we are one in Christ. Amen? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are one. We have all experienced the same grace. We have all encountered the same gospel. We are one family. We are one body. We are one kingdom. And we are one people. One of my favorite things about Hope Church, it's one of the, it's honestly, it's the thing that I brag on you the most about as I travel across the country and around the world and have the opportunity to preach and to teach God's word in people, to people in places all over the world. I tell people about you and the miracle of what God has done here. How I really believe we've got a head start on a lot of churches because we look like heaven more than a lot of churches look like heaven. Because when you look across the room here at Hope Church, week in and week out, over 52 languages represented in our fellowship, and yet in the midst of this incredible diversity, we are one in Christ. Amen? One family, one fellowship. But we live in a world that is increasingly becoming more divided. And as I have been praying and reading through the book of Ephesians, next weekend, we come to a passage of Scripture that is a difficult passage of Scripture, in all honesty, in the book of Ephesians. And out of this passage of Scripture, I want to address this subject next weekend, how to be a diverse family in a divided world. 
More than ever before, I think society, the news, social media, politics is doing what it can to rip us apart, and I believe the world needs to see the difference Jesus makes in our lives as we relate together. As followers of Jesus, we must continue to pursue oneness by allowing the gospel to unite us rather than the world divide us. So next weekend... I'm going to be addressing that subject matter right in our study through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to use a passage of scripture here and, and unpack some truths that God has been laying on my heart and the heart of our pastoral team as we've been praying about this for a number of weeks. So I'm going to ask you to do two things this week. Number one, be here next Sunday. I really believe that God's given us a word for our church for such a time as this especially as we move into another political season here in America, I just think the world needs the church to be the church. We need to be the church. We need to live out the gospel, and we need to show the world once and for all the hope is not in Washington, D.C. The hope is not in education. The hope is not in legislation. The hope is in the reconciling power of the gospel. So we're going to look at some stuff next weekend. I'm asking you to make it a priority to be here. And secondly, I'm asking you this week to pray, to ask God this week as the Lord leads you in your personal time alone with him this week, ask God to prepare our hearts for what it is he wants to say to us. Because here's what often happens. A pastor announces something like this, or you hear about a subject, and we each start thinking, yeah, I hope they're here to hear that. Now, God's got something to say to all of us, okay? Doesn't matter what culture or color we come from. God's got something to say to all of us from his word next week, and I want you to be here to hear it. I want you to be praying that God would prepare our hearts and that God would speak to us through his word next week. And if you'll do that, say amen. Let me pray about it for us together. Let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into this week. Let's pray. God, Lord, it's a miracle what you've done in this fellowship. In the day and age in which we live, for you to have reconciled together a body from every culture and background and made us one family. God, we are so grateful to God that that you've expanded your kingdom here at Hope Church in such a way that we literally begin to look like heaven, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around the throne of the Lord Jesus. But God, we want you to protect it. God, as a shepherd, I want you to guide us. Lord, may our worldview not be shaped by the winds of culture, but may our worldview be shaped by the truth of Scripture. God, may the reconciling power of the gospel Give us a right perspective in relating to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we ask you to speak a word to our fellowship. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all of us together say, Amen. Amen. Look forward to next weekend. Now, let's jump in with finishing our Family Matters series. And to bring it to a close this weekend, June the 3rd of 1993, my wife and I experienced a life-changing event. As a matter of fact, based on this event, we would literally never be the same people again. You say, what happened on that day? On that day, June the 3rd, 1993, we became mom and dad for the very first time. 
<clears throat> part of this series, they keep wanting me to bring these pictures out, and my wife uh, asked, uh, asked her to help me find these pictures, and notice she found one that didn't put her up here, but it put me up here. Thank God for LASIK surgery. I think she tries to find every one that makes those glasses look as big as they can possibly look. But that's the day that our first daughter, Hannah, was born, and we became, for the first time, mom and dad. We became parents. And two years later, it happened again. Two years later, we had our second child, Caleb. Our oldest son was born into our family in 1995. And then two years later, it happened again in 1997. We had our second son, our third child, whose name was Elijah. And man, we were on track. We were just rocking through this thing. And we thought two years later, it's going to happen again. <clears throat> and it didn't. And we thought, okay, God is done with us, with the family. This is, this is our family. This is who we are. And we kind of, in our mind, moved on. And then seven years later, it happened again. God blessed us with our fourth child, our youngest daughter, Faith, in 2004. She is our native Nevadan. She was born here in Nevada. She's a born and raised. And after Faith was born, our quiver, according to Scripture, was full. Our family was full, and we were enjoying life as mom and dad with our kids. And then... July the 18th of 2017, our lives changed again in a new way. And for the first time, we became Mimo and Big Poppy because we became grandparents to our first granddaughter, Karis. And then two years later, I guess we trained our kids well. It happened again. In 2019, just a few weeks ago, our second grandson was born. You say, why are you telling us that? Because this is our family. This is, this is who we are. This is the Pittmans. It's, uh, Christy and I, our four children, our grandchildren, we now have two of our kids are married, and we have now sons and daughters through marriage, and we have another son about to be married. And I don't know where my wife found this quote, but at some point in our married life, my wife came across a quote that she has posted around our house in different ways in different places throughout our marriage. And she's written it on chalkboard. She's hung it on the wall and framed it. But it's a quote that, that stuck with me in this arena of this role of being a parent and a grandparent. Here's the quote. No other success can compensate for failure in the home. You know, you, you read stuff and you hear stuff, and sometimes it's in one ear and out the other. And then every once in a while you come across one of these things, and it's like, whew, Man, I got to hang on to that. Well, that's what this was for me. No other success. You can be successful in every other arena of life, and it will not compensate for failure in the home. And so because of that, my wife and I, since 1993, with the birth of our first daughter, we've taken very seriously this responsibility of parenting, and, and we've sought before God to fulfill the roles that he called us to as mom and dad and first and foremost husband and wife by pursuing God's design for the family. And that's really been what we've been looking at for the last six weeks. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians, unpacking together the same principles that my wife and I had poured into our lives out of this book here in Ephesians about what God's ideal design for the family is. 
We've examined the relationship between husbands and wives. We've been looking at the relationship between parents and children. And we did all of this under the banner of that very first verse of Scripture that taught us that we've all been called to live in Christ-like submission to one another. Before Paul began addressing family, he said to all of us as Christians, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And everything Paul has been teaching us about how we're to relate as husbands and wives and parents and children is under the banner of being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are supposed to relate to each other in mutual Christ-like submission. And with each of these defining roles, Paul has been explaining to us or giving us examples of what it looks like to live in Christ-like submission towards one another. We're going to finish today in Ephesians chapter 6, reading verses 1 through 4, focusing one more time on children and parents. If you have your Bible, you can open it there. Paul writes these words. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And last weekend, we focused on those three verses, and we unpacked some truth about who he's talking to here, children, and what he was instructing them to do, demonstrating Christ-like submission towards their parents. Now we're going to focus on verse 4. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're going to focus on this role of parents and how parents are to live out Christ-like submission towards their children. Every one of these examples are an expression of of that idea of being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let me also remind you, and I've said this every weekend in this series, that Paul in Ephesians 5 and 6 is writing to an audience that he assumes to be believers in Jesus. This letter is addressed to Christians. So Paul is not here writing a how-to manual for the modern family. He's writing from the perspective of understanding we are followers of Jesus, seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, living in Christ-like submission towards one another. And Paul says, if that's your heart, here's God's ultimate design. But I also realize that we live in a broken world. The world we live in oftentimes is not a reflection of God's ideal design. Sin entered into the picture, and sin has marred that which God established for us as best. And I know that in an audience like this, not everyone comes from a home where you've been able to see mom and dad or husband and wife or parent and child in a love relationship with Jesus pursuing God's design. And I want to begin today by saying this. If you're here and you come from a home like that, you are not alone. You're not alone. Sometimes I think we can come to church and we come to church and we look around at everybody else and we think we're the only one that's messed up. 
that everybody else has got it together. Because you know what we do. We get, we get all churched up on the way here, right? So that by the time we step out of the car, we got that praise the Lord. How you doing today face on, right? And we look like we got it all together. And sometimes you can come in and you can think everybody else has got it together. I'm the only one that's broken. My situation is the only one that's messed up. My situation is the only one that's struggling. I'm the only person that's inconsistent in this area in my life. And you can get to the point you think that so much that even while I'm up here teaching the Word of God, you feel like right now there's a shining light that's just right on top of you. And everybody else can see it. And you think this is just for you right now. But I want you to know something. I want you to take a minute and just look around the room. Just take a minute and just look around the room. Let me tell you what's all over this room. Broken pieces that God in His infinite grace is putting back together to make a beautiful portrait. That's all over this room. Do not let for one second the enemy tell you you're by yourself. You are not. We are all broken. Listen, I'm broken. I've got stuff in my own life, struggles that I deal with, inconsistencies in my own. Listen, if I could get my wife and kids up here and do an interview, you'd probably fire me tomorrow morning, right? Because I got stuff in my own life that Jesus, we are all a work in progress. You are not alone. But maybe you're here. And you say, yeah, I got some brokenness, but you've not really addressed my situation. I know, I know, because I've, I've heard from some of you. I've disappointed you because we haven't been able to deal with every possible situation that, that people are living in. And what we've tried to do is limit our conversation to the text of Scripture. What is God's Word saying to us from this particular passage of Scripture? But I will say this. Even though we hadn't been able to address every situation, you're still not alone. If you're in the midst of a situation of brokenness and you need some help, you need somebody to walk with you and bring biblical counsel, I want to put an email address back up here one last time. We've used it throughout the series, matters at hopechurchonline.com. If you are in a place of struggle in these family relationships, if you will email us, listen to me, we want to walk with you. We may not have been able to address your situation specifically from the pulpit, but we want to walk with you. You are not alone. Let me also say this. If you're here today and the situation that you're in is so broken that it would be described as abusive, because I realize when we talk about family from God's Word and the world that we live in is broken, sometimes the brokenness even gets to a point where the relationships inside the home can become abusive. Listen, it is not God's will for you to remain in an abusive situation. Anybody that would use this passage of Scripture in Ephesians that talks about mutual Christ-like submission to try to guilt you into remaining in a situation that is abusive, is wrong in doing so, and is spiritually abusive themselves to use Scripture to leave you in that situation. It is not God's design for you to live in an abusive situation. And if you're in one of those situations, we want to walk with you. So clearly that I want to make this statement that I made early in the series, but I want to make it again today as we bring it to a close. 
If you're living today in an abusive situation in your family relationships, in any way, parent, child, husband, wife, if you're living in an abusive situation, it is not God's desire nor design for you to remain in that situation. You should seek immediate help to remove yourself from that situation and find biblical counsel to guide you through your healing and decision-making process. This church is ready to stand with you, and God's grace will see you through. Amen? Church family, if you believe that, say amen. So I want you to hear that. If you're living in one of those situations, you just heard all these people say, we're ready to stand with you and we're ready to walk with you through that situation. So let's dive into this last section. We talked last weekend about children. Let me give you the statement that we put on the screen last weekend about children. What does it look like for children to live in Christ-like submission towards their parents? And if you weren't here last weekend, I encourage you, go back and listen, because we define children as more than just little kids. Children speaks to this issue of dependence and living in dependence on your parents. But here's what he taught us. You are to demonstrate Christ-like submission by honoring your parents, recognizing them as God's gift to you throughout the seasons of your life. And we unpacked that last weekend. I want to contrast that now with putting a statement up here about parents We're going to unpack it today. What does it look like as a parent to be filled with the Holy Spirit, demonstrating Christ-like submission towards our children? Here's what it is. You are to demonstrate Christ-like submission by nurturing and shepherding your children, recognizing them as God's gift to you throughout the seasons of life. So again, we're focusing here on verse 4. Let me read it one more time. Fathers... Do not exasperate your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I want to ask two questions and then bring three points of life application and we'll be done. Here's the first question. Who is Paul talking to here? It's a little bit confusing because when we read it, it says the word what? Fathers, right? And so we could assume he said fathers. He's only talking to dads, but that's not the case. The word here that is translated with the English word fathers can mean just fathers, but also throughout the New Testament, this word is translated to mean parents. Let me give you an example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Listen to what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. You know what the word is? Same word translated fathers here in Ephesians. So this word is a broad word that can mean just dads, but it can also speak to both mom and dad as parents. You say, well, if that's what Paul is meaning, why didn't he choose just a more generic word? Why use this word? Well, there were some cultural reasons why Paul used this word, but the bigger reason, I think, is because Paul has been teaching us about God's ideal design for the family. And in God's ideal design for the family, there's to be a husband and a wife who love Jesus and who love each other. And in the overflow of their love relationship for each other, it is the design by God that the father be the spiritual leader. And we talked about this. If that, if that term upsets you, go back a few weeks and we unpacked what this means. But he's to be the spiritual leader. So Paul here is including all moms and dads, but he's highlighting the responsibility of fathers. But I've also already said today that I know we live in a broken world. And I know that because of the brokenness of our world, all family 
situations are not ideal. And one of the effects of the fall is that, that we have homes that don't reflect God's ideal design. So this means that Paul's not just speaking to, to, to a situation where there's a mom and a dad, where the dad's the spiritual leader. He's also speaking today to those of you that may be in the situation of single parenting or those of you that are in a blended family where you are a step parent. All the principles that Paul is addressing here are applicable to all moms and dads regardless of the situation that you find yourself in. So here's why I want to say that. Here's the point. God in His grace can take your situation and accomplish His purpose in the life of your children if you'll simply from this day forward begin to honor His plan. Here's why that's important. Some of you sit here today and maybe you didn't come to Christ until later on in life. Maybe you'd already done a lot of the raising of your children. Maybe you're already a grandparent before you came to know Christ. And if you're not careful, you can sit here today with great regret, looking back, oh, I've blown it, I've missed it. But here's what I want you to say. God is a gracious God. God is a loving God. And regardless of your past, His grace is sufficient. If from this moment forward, you'll begin to live out these principles in His redeeming grace, God can accomplish all that he desires to accomplish in and through the lives of your children and your grandchildren. If that's good news, say amen. Secondly, what's Paul saying here? What's he saying? Well, he tells us two things. Number one, he tells us as parents what we shouldn't do. Look what he says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not. It literally could be translated, don't ever do this. Don't do what? Don't provoke your kids to anger. You say, uh-oh, I'm in trouble because <laughs> my kids have already gotten mad at me. Well, Paul is not saying don't ever make your kids mad because that's impossible. Amen, parents? If you're parenting, your kid's going to get mad. If they hadn't gotten mad, you need to check your parenting. What Paul is saying is never cause them to get angry in a way that is justifiable or righteous in their anger. Meaning that you, in a way of, of parenting them, have provoked them to an anger that's a justifiable anger because your parenting has not revealed the, the righteousness and the justice of, and the grace of God in the way you've parented. Don't let them get mad for good reason, is what Paul is saying. To provoke a child to anger means that a child begins to think things like this. I'll never get it right. Or all he or she ever does is criticize me. Or they'll never love me. I've done a lot of reading and research this week on this idea of what it means to provoke your children to anger, and I came up with a list of examples, and I hesitated to even put it up here because it's not an exhaustive list, but these are examples from different writers as I was reading about how as parents we can provoke our children to anger. Look at these. Overprotection. Showing favoritism. Not communicating their value. Setting unrealistic goals. Failing to show affection. Not providing for their needs. A lack of standards and boundaries. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Unnecessary, undue criticism. Comparing them to others. 
and excessive or inconsistent discipline. Here's what Paul is teaching us. When we parent like this, our kids are getting mad and it's justifiable. Because we've either overstepped our bounds or we've misapplied the principles of Scripture in how we are parenting them. We've overassumed our role and right and responsibility. This is not living out Christ-like submission towards your children. For example, showing favoritism. If we have multiple children and we show one child favor over the other, it's provoking an anger that's a right and justifiable anger because we're to love all of our kids the same and raise them the same or to set unrealistic goals is another example, right? Here's what happens sometimes as parents. We begin to vicariously want to live through our children and see them accomplish things that we didn't get to accomplish in our own life, and so we put unrealistic expectations and goals and standards on them that begins to be a weight around their neck, and it provokes them to anger because they can see through what we're doing and know that we're trying to live out our dreams through them. Any of these things, and then a whole lot more, if we go that direction, we're provoking. And here's what Paul says, don't ever do that. Don't ever. Just because God's given you these children as a gift and you've been given the authority to shepherd and to nurture them doesn't give us the right or the responsibility to do any of these types of things. Paul says, don't do this. Then secondly, he said, here's what we should do. He says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up. This word, bring them up, that phrase, it means to bring to maturity. And it's the way that Paul uses it. It describes an ongoing, continuous action. Here's what that means. Parenting is 24-7. Amen? It's 24-7, seven days a week. It's, it's 52 weeks a year. It's month after month and year after year after year after year after year. Amen? It's not just what we do in a few moments of the day Parenting is a relationship that God has established, and our responsibility is to bring them to maturity. It means this. Parenting is the 24-7 responsibility to see that children entrusted to us by God become mature, Christ-honoring adults. And Paul says we do that through discipline and through instruction. Discipline is training and it does involve discipline. It involves punishment. Instruction is any word of encouragement or reproof that leads to correct behavior. It's cautionary advice. It's counsel. It's speaking into their lives. So Paul says, don't, don't exasperate. Don't provoke them to anger. Here's what you do. You focus on bringing them up to maturity through training and discipline and, yes, punishment and instruction and counsel and speaking into their life. We embrace this lifestyle, this lifetime responsibility of seeing them become mature. So that's what he says, and that's who he's talking to. Now, let me close by giving you some applications, all right? Here's number one. Your relationship with your children is the training ground for their relationship with God. Read that out loud with me. Your relationship with your children is the training ground for their relationship with God. You are laying the foundation for your child's relationship with God by the way you relate 
to your child. The first lessons of faith they learn. They learn trusting you. It's our relationship with our kids that is the training ground. It's not just some temporary moments of formal instruction. It's the 24-7 relationship where they learn from us what it looks like to follow him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. I thought this was a, a great statement. He said, it is from God that parents receive children, and it is to God that they in turn ought to lead them. They're blessings from Him, and now we have that responsibility to lead them to a mature relationship with Him. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, it's a non-stop relationship. In the Old Testament, one of my favorite passages of Scripture that deals with the relationship between parents and children and how we're to teach and train is in the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to put these verses up here on the screen. The Old Testament law was given to the children of Israel... And here the writer of the book of Deuteronomy is communicating the truths of the law. And after pouring out all of the truths of God's law, listen to what he said. You. Say that word out loud. You. He's talking to you, the parents. You, the generation that received the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. But then look what he said. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. When I read that, you know what that screams? Relationship. He's not describing here formal educational settings where you get out your lectern and sit your kids down and open the Bible and begin to teach them the Scripture. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that or can't do that. You can do that. I hope that goes well for you, right? We can do it that way. There, there are times when it's appropriate. But what he's talking about here is everyday relationship. Look at some of these phrases. Look what he says. He says to talk of them. This word talk it's the Hebrew word for conversation. It's not a word for instruction or teaching. It's the Hebrew word for one-on-one -on -one conversation. He said, as you converse, what are we conversing about? All that's in my heart because of what God's done. I'm having these conversations with my children. When do you do this? Look what he said. When you sit in your house. It's the first one. You know what that is? When you're just hanging out at the house. When you're just hanging around and, 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 and just doing life. Again, not a formal sit-down instruction. It says you're sitting in the house. Then look what he says. And when you, what, walk by the way? What's he describing there? Well, in the day when this was written, you know how people got from one place to another? They walked. They walked. They didn't jump in the car. They didn't call an Uber. That's not how they got from one place to another. They walked. Do you know what he's just talking about here? In between times or times of transition. What does that look like today? Let's get in the car. Let's go to school. Let's go to the store, let's go to the mall, let's go to the post office, let's go to church. What do you got, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on where you are in town, maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes in traffic? Here's what he's saying. In those moments when you're in between times, look for opportunities to have conversation about the truth of God. Then he says, when you lie down, what's that? It's when you go to bed at night. It's, it's the end of the day. 
when you rise up. What's that? It's the beginning of the day. What's he doing here? The writer of the book of Deuteronomy is giving us four practical examples how not adding another 30-minute block to your day. Okay, now i got to have 30 minutes a day where I have this training session with my kids. No, he's saying in the regular rhythm of the relationship, begin to seize the opportunities to talk about, to have conversation about God. I love the way one writer, Barry Schaefer, said it. Look what he said. He said, God wasn't picturing in Deuteronomy here, he wasn't picturing an occasional devotional moment or a quick pre-meal prayer. God's words were to be intentionally impressed on the younger generation as they were woven into the fabric of everyday life. Our relationship is the training ground. And here's a lesson that my wife and I learned. The greatest lessons that you'll teach your kids will not be in a formal setting of instruction. But in the informal moments of everyday life, when you bring application of the Word of God into that moment. Not to say we shouldn't have formal moments at times, and we should establish rhythms of that. But I'm saying the big lessons, the life-altering lessons, happen in the rhythm of the relationship as you are bringing the Word of God and application into everyday moments. Here's number two. Your primary responsibility as a parent is to shepherd the heart of your child. Your primary responsibility as a parent is to shepherd the heart of your child. You say, how do you do that? Well, two ways. Number one, by setting an example. The greatest thing you can do for your children. You ready to hear this? The greatest thing you can do for your children is love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and follow Him in your own life. It's the greatest thing you can do for your kids. You know what your kids need to see in you? A genuine, authentic follower of Jesus. That's what they need to see. It's the greatest gift you can give your children. As a grandparent, the greatest thing you can give your grandchildren is you It's not to buy them treats and trinkets. That's not the greatest thing you can do, even though that's a lot of fun. Amen? The greatest thing you can do for your grandchildren is to let them see in you a genuine, authentic follower of Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus will impact them far beyond anything you could ever imagine. I grew up my whole life in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor, and growing up in a pastor's home, you, you immediately grow up in an environment where you start hearing all the jokes about preacher's kids, right? Some of you that have been around church for any length of time, you, you know that there's this joke, this thing about how bad oftentimes preacher's kids are. Preacher's kids getting in trouble, preacher's kids doing this. There's even tons of jokes about pastor's kids and preacher's kids if you grow up in a church environment. You know why I think that is? You know why I think there are a lot of examples where preacher's kids and pastor's kids have had a lot of issues? Here's why. Because I think a lot of them see a mom and dad at church and a mom and dad at home, and they're not the same people. And nothing will drive your child away from Jesus quicker than hypocrisy. I'm not saying we have to be perfect. We're not. My mom and dad were not perfect people. But get this. My mom and dad were the same imperfect people at church they were at home. They didn't change when we got out of the car on Sunday. They were the same imperfect people at church. Sometimes I wish they did change, but they didn't. They were the same imperfect people at church they were at home. So what my brother and I got to see was an authentic relationship with Jesus that wasn't perfect, but that was pursuing Christ's likeness in their own life. 
And I want to challenge you to set an example for your kids of what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. You cannot lead what you do not live long term. You can't lead your kids somewhere that you're not living. You can fake it in the short run, but long term, that's why people say you can't fake kids, right? You can't fake kids. Long term, you can't lead what you don't live. So the greatest thing you can do is set an example. That's why I go back to that Deuteronomy verse. Look what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, you shall love the Lord. Before he starts talking about teaching your kids, you love the Lord with your heart and your soul and your might. And the words which I'm commanding you shall be on your heart. He says, you have it. Then, out of the overflow of what God's doing in your heart, then you take what's in your heart and speak it into the heart of your kids. Set an example. Here's the second thing. Set boundaries. How do you shepherd the heart of your child? You set boundaries. I want to say something very graciously and yet firmly. Parents, your children do not need buddies. They need boundaries. We're living in a day when parents want to be their kid's best friend. They don't need you to be their friend. They need you to be their parent. And if you'll be their parent when they need you to be their parent, they'll be your friend when they mature and grow up. They need boundaries. God's given you there. God's given you to them because they don't have enough wisdom yet to set those boundaries for themselves. So your, your children don't need you to just be their friend and their buddy. They need you to, to be the one that provides boundaries for them. Let me give you an example from our home. In our home, we, had a, we established a boundary around opposite sex relationships. Our young boys with young girls and our young girls with young boys. And you got to figure out the boundary for your family. My wife and I prayed through it. Here was our boundary. Up until 16 years old, the only thing that could be developed was friendship. There's not anything that needs to happen before 16 years old besides friendship. Now, did that mean some of those friendships could be opposite sex friendships? Absolutely they could be. They could deepen those friendships, but at that point, there wasn't no dating. There's no romance. It's, it's just friendship up until 16. That was our boundary. Our kids knew it. Up till 16, don't even ask. Friendship. 16 to 18, for us, was what we called courtship. Say, so what's courtship? Well, it's a version of dating, but it's really best described as group dating. Between 16 and 18, we didn't allow our kids to go out on dates one-on-one by themselves. You say, why would you do that? Because ain't nothing happening on that date by themselves that they shouldn't do in groups, right? They need a group of people around them. And, 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 and to be honest with you, we preferred to be the group. I'm serious. We, we double-dated a ton with our kids when they were in this season of life. And I made it worth their while. I picked up the check, right? I, I paid for everything. But I preferred to be the group. I wanted to, because here's why. God's given my wife and I wisdom to see stuff in others that my kids in the cloud of emotion and hormones can't see between 16 and 18. And as a parent, you have a responsibility to be wise and set boundaries. So before 16, friendship. 16 to 18, courtship. Beyond 18, they could begin dating relationships one-on-one. Now, we again, we spoke into their life, gave them boundaries for those, helped them establish them based on who they were and their own weaknesses and inconsistencies. You say, why would you be that specific with boundaries with your kids in that area? Let me tell you why. 
Because I knew with every one of them there would be a wedding day. And I wanted them to look at me with, on that day and say thank you. I wanted to do, now, not that we could make, but I wanted to do everything we could as parents to make sure that we put appropriate boundaries in place so that on that day, they could say, Mom and Dad, thanks. Now, am I saying to you today that my kids and this boundary and any other boundary have been perfect? Absolutely not, right? They haven't been perfect. They've made mistakes. They've stepped across boundaries at times. But get this. When you set boundaries and they step across those boundaries, don't overreact. Say, what do you mean? Sometimes we as parents, we set a boundary. Our kid steps across the boundary. Listen, they're going to, okay? They're going to. We, they step across the boundary and we lose our mind overreacting. Here's another lesson my wife and I learned. Broken boundaries can become the building blocks of life-changing conversations if you don't overreact. Now, if you overreact and you blow it, you lose the opportunity for a life-changing conversation. It needs to be corrected. But listen to me, Mom and Dad. Maybe you're in a situation right now where your kids have stepped over some boundaries. I get it. I get it. It's a big deal. But listen, the world is not coming to an end. It's not as bad as you think it is. Their life is not over. The redeeming grace of God is still present. Correct. Maybe tighten the boundary for a season, but use it as an opportunity to have a life-changing conversation. I think back over my lifetime with my kids. In my mind, they'd have to say it for themselves, but in my mind, some of the most intimate, powerful, one-on-one conversations happened when they'd stepped across a boundary and I was able to say to them, you know what? I got some of that in my life where I've made some of those same mistakes. And let me tell you why this boundary is there. Let me tell you how you need to respond to this. And, let me, and it's in those moments. And you can lose those moments if you're not careful. Here's the last thing, and I'm done. As a parent, rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. Here's what that means. As much as they need to know you've set some very clear boundaries, they need to know that you love them unconditionally. That you are their parent. No, you're not their buddy, but you're their parent. And as their parent, that means you love them way more than a buddy. Way more than a friend. In Christ-like submission, they need to know, yes, you're the authority, but also you love them unconditionally. That's what Paul's teaching us here about parents. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak through your word and give us instruction as to what it looks like to be moms and dads in the midst of a culture and a society that are trying to steal away the hearts of our children. God, I pray that you'd let us be faithful to nurture and to shepherd their hearts in a way that raises them to maturity and leads them to be Christ-honoring followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would communicate these truths as only you can. As we sit just in a spirit of prayer, as you're just pondering and contemplating what God has maybe spoken to you through his word this morning, we're going to bring this series to a close with 
an opportunity to respond. Maybe you're here this morning and the first group of people I want to talk to are those of you that are here that maybe you're not in that group that Paul was assumed to be writing to. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. And some of the stuff that I've talked about over the last few weeks seems overwhelming and in some ways impossible. I want to encourage you. It is impossible apart from Christ. The only way we can have God's ideal design redeemed and restored is through a love relationship with Jesus. We need God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's provision, God's power. If you're here today and you don't know what it means to be forgiven of your sin and to have a relationship with Jesus, in just a moment we're going to stand and sing a song of worship. Our team's going to lead us. If you'd like to know what it means to to be forgiven, to have a relationship with God. You see, the Bible teaches us that God loves us, and He loves us so much that even though we've sinned against Him, God sent His only Son, Jesus, into the world to make a way for us to be forgiven. Jesus took all of our sin on Himself, and on the cross, Jesus died for our sin, but He didn't stay dead. He rose again as a testimony that God had accepted His sacrifice for our sin. So now when you and I put our faith in Jesus... We get to be forgiven and get to be made right with God. If you're here today and you don't know what it means to have a relationship with God or you don't know that you would go to heaven if you were to die today, when we stand to sing, you come to one of these pastors that are going to be here at the front and just say to them, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you from the Bible how you today can begin a relationship with God. Second group I want to talk to today are those of you that are already followers of Jesus. But maybe over this six-week series, God stirred some stuff in your heart, and there's a burden for your family. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's for your children. Maybe it's for your grandchildren. And just kind of one last time in this series, we want to open these altars up here at the front. Just open them up. If you got a burden, something on your heart for your family today, you just come and get in one of these altars and just begin to pour that burden out to the Lord. And some of our pastors and deacons and leaders will just come and pray over you, just asking God to meet whatever need it is in your family today. But then maybe you're here today and there's something else going on. Maybe it's in your health or your finances or your job. And you just want to pray with one of our pastors. We're here. We'd be honored to pray with you and for you. You just come. While we sing this song of worship, you respond as God speaks today. Lord, have your way in this moment. Use it for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.